How do social entrepreneurs and small businesses create an authentic brand people love so they can get the edge they need to stand out, create predictable revenue, and compete against the big guys? That's what we're here to discuss. I'm Adam Force, the founder of Change Creator, and this is the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. Okay, show me the heat. 
Rachel, welcome to the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. How are you doing today? Nice to see you. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, it's good to see you. For anybody listening, uh, Rachel was on the show and in our magazine um, a few years ago, actually. So this is kind of like a follow-up, um, you know, check-in. We like to bring some people back that were fun to have the first time and see what's going on in their world. Uh, Rachel just got back from Cambodia. So that was the first time you were able to get there in a while. So tell us just a little bit about um, what your trip was about and what's going on right now uh, with the brand. Yeah, sure. Um, so we are a zero waste and sustainable fashion line for anybody who um, hasn't known about us before. Tonlay. Um, we take scraps and material that come from come to us as waste from larger manufacturers, um, primarily in Cambodia. And we transform those into new garments and we use every single scrap in the process. So not only is each individual product a zero waste product, but they're also made um, in an entirely zero waste um, process and facility. And we also make an effort to reduce our climate footprint in other ways, um, reducing packaging waste and shipping waste and um, also, you know, endeavor to make sure that everybody who works on our products is paid um fairly and you know makes a living wage while they're working at home which should be the norm but is unfortunately not <laughs> with a lot of yeah, why do you think it's not why do you think it's not the norm i think oh it's a lot of a lot of complicated history i think um going back to going back to the history of global trade and how it originated out of really mm -hmm. colonialism and so I think trade policy across the world is, is still set up in such a way that does not, is, is not equitable. And um, as a result of that, I think, you know, in the United States, um, as wages began to rise and workers got more protections in the U.S., a lot of brands realized they could outsource um, their production overseas um, and also separate the production from the brand so that they didn't have to take on the risk. Um, and responsibility of providing for their workers. So it's not only about being able to access lower wages or conditions that are less, you know, that are that are more favorable to companies that are, are bad for workers. Um, but it's also about the fact that they don't have to take on the risk of having, you know, hundreds of thousands of garment factory workers on their payroll, on their books. And if anything goes wrong in those factories, um, the factories, the owners and the factory managers are the ones who take on that risk, not, not the brand. Right. So yeah. we now see a lot of brands going back and saying, oh, well, this or this bad thing happened in the factory, but it's not our fault because we had a policy and, you know, they were supposed to do this and they didn't do it. Well, they won't acknowledge that's because, you know, they benefit from those conditions being in place. Right. So it's, it's quite complicated, but I think that at the end of the day, um, American corporate law protects American companies and American workers, but not um, people who are working on products for those corporations um, in other countries. Um, and, and because of these various loopholes that companies have created alongside of the government, um, you know, they can essentially get away with uh, these things legally that they would never be able to get away with in, in the U.S. So it's, you know, it has to change. I think there is an element of people needing to, you know, vote with their dollars and support companies that are trying to do things differently and especially small businesses who are trying to do things differently. But I think on a policy level and even as on a cultural level, I, th I think um, 
this America first <laughs> mentality yeah. that only American workers and only American corporations are important um, is something that that has an impact, you know, yeah. in, in how these businesses can mm -hmm. operate in other parts of the world. It's interesting. Yeah. So the cultural factor uh, and the policy factor, I think, are pretty big in yes. those <laughs> points <laughs> um, yeah. because, you know, relying on the people as you probably I mean, back me up if I'm or let me know if I'm wrong. But like, you know, we've we start a change creator to support, you know, businesses that are doing the right things. But what we have found is that even like when you read the data and everyone's like, oh, well, I support sustainable brands or I would pay more for this kind of product or that kind of product mm -hmm. that the data says one thing, but people's actions say another. Right. Yep. Meaning yep. the purchasing <laughs> trends are are not the reality of what they're what makes them feel good when they fill out a survey. Right. And I think at the end of the day, too, it's like and, and I, I'm really suggesting for you know systemic chip shifts because at the end of the day it would not be hard for target to pay a few cents more um per item to have recycled like fully recycled packaging right but if if a customer goes into target and there's no packaging that is recycled well then they don't have a choice okay like the customer has a choice Can't to give maybe choice. go and do research and so yeah. forth but that that's really hard for a customer. It's actually not that hard for target to change. Right. But they, they are the ones who are choosing not to change that. On the yeah. other hand, for a small business like us, it's really hard to store sustainable packaging because it's not accessible to small brands. Right. And that's, what's so disappointing about it, that brands like us will jump through hoops to try to make our production and our process and everything really like above board and sustainable and ethical. And yet you have these huge corporations who could literally make these changes in a drop of a hat if they wanted to, because they have the scale to do so, but they don't have the will. Right. And so I think at the end of the day, there does have to be um, pressure on a corporate, like on a corporate and a policy level to change because if, and, and I think where like brands like us do come in is we kind of set a standard and say, Hey, look, if we're doing it and it's so much more of an uphill battle for us, and it's so much more work to source these sustainable materials and all this stuff, because we can't, we're not at scale, right? So it just makes it so much harder to access. If we're doing it, then Target should be able to, Amazon should be able to, Walmart should be able to, right? And they don't even need to charge that much more for their products. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I know. And the sad part is though, like, and this is just now the past six years doing, going knee deep into these businesses and stuff too. Myself is like, and I've worked with Target. I've I've worked on projects with, you know, Microsoft and other big Walgreens, whatever. It's like all great brands. But, you know, we all know that at the end of the day, the bottom line is what puts food on everybody's table and lines the pockets. Right. So if if it's not a policy, like you said, and that policy would probably be shifted and created based on shifting the cultural perspective. Exactly. Um, so they kind of work together. But if it's not a policy, it's probably not going to happen. They're not going to do it um, yeah. out of the goodness of their heart unless there's some value in it, because it's just. I guess the you know the way that a corporation is set up the sole job is to earn money and so yeah. that's a really tough one to try to shift unless there's a policy saying this is how it has to be right unless there's a policy or if there's enough pressure from customers but that has to it can't just be 
individual people being like, well, I'll just buy the slightly greener looking thing <laughs> yeah. from the shelf. Like that's not going to do it. But if yeah. there, there have been, you know, instances in the past where mass boycotts and so forth have worked, but it has to be very collective action. Right. And it it's has tough. to be like, and again, that takes that cultural shift that we're talking about. And that's why I think that brands like us, you know, our impact is like, yes, we do reduce waste and yes, we do reduce the carbon footprint and we are, you know, employing people at higher wages and all those things are valuable, but our real impact is helping to change the story and change the narrative and show that there's a different way of doing things. And if that gets customers thinking about it and learning about it, right. And then turning around and putting that pressure on, um, but not even just putting pressure on, but also just living by their values when you're living in a values aligned way. And you're, let's say you're bringing your, you know, your recyclable, um, you know, silverware everywhere you go and not using the plastic fork, like that alone doesn't make a big difference, but other people see that and it normalizes it. Right. And it makes it like, that's what starts to make that cultural shift. So I, I'm a really big proponent of both you know, systemic change and culture and that cultural shift needs to happen, but also, you know, supporting the brands that you want to see exist in the world, because the truth is every single purchase does make a difference to Tonle, right? And so it's also equally important to do that and vote with your dollar. Neither of those things can happen in a vacuum. Yeah. And I do see more cultural shifts. It's a very slow process. Like, yes. oh, now we have paper straws because of the whole straw movement and not everybody, but some people, especially in more progressive areas. Um, and as far as buying products and voting with the dollar, I think that kind of like goes back, you know, coming, you know, whether you're e-commerce or anything and say, like, well, I guess, yeah, e-commerce, basically tangible products. It's like, You cannot, like, if there's one thing I've learned about human behavior, relying on people to make these decisions versus making it a natural, like, this is just how we make products, period. That's the only way, you know, like, it it just is, it makes it so much more difficult because when anyone gets to that register and they're in a pinch, it's going to be like, well, whatever, what's my one purchase matter anyway? I'm going, I gotta, I can't afford this today, (laughs) right? Right. Um, and that that makes it so difficult. And I just see that uphill battle, um, you know, so to me, it's almost like having a four way intersection where you say, well, we got to just make sure people make the right decision to slow down and stop instead of just putting a stoplight where we make them stop. Right. Right. <laughs> and that's where it's kind of like, OK, why not? Why can't like X, Y, Z corporation instead of having like the customer have to make that choice. Like just put all the candy bars in sustainable wrappers, you know? And then at the end of the day, like if they're going to buy a candy bar, then they're going to get a candy bar in a sustainable no, wrapper. I know. You know? It's just, I, <laughs> I mean, and that could be top-down policy where those changes could be made, but man, that's tough. Um, yeah. And I'm curious, yeah. like coming from your business perspective, I know um, there's been some major shifts to adapt to that we discussed just around like COVID and everything else, but let's just put that aside for a second. Um, as far as building your brand, um, you know, you've been doing it. How many years have you been running Tonle now? Um, 15. So wow, coming up on really 15. Been? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, well, the first iteration of the brand started in 2008 and that actually got rebranded in 2014 as Tonle or at the end of 2013, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, all together at the end of this year, it'll be 15 years. Um, okay. But okay. Yeah. So I'm sure you've gone through some shifts and pivots oh, and things yeah. like that. You know? <laughs> um, the evolution of the brand, if you will. Um, so 
based on the stuff we're talking about, which is all just really important consideration, because I think a lot of brands get into the markets today and they're like, oh, we're going to do something good in the world, which is great. But they're leveraging that as like their selling point, which is great. It's part of their brand story. Um, and, and it could create brand loyalty, I think, because people really respect when brands like take a stand. I mean, they, and they do the right things. Um, but when no one's looking and they have to make a purchase, <laughs> um, how have you have you seen an impact like if you compare to competitors who are not doing, you know, waste free and they don't have the same obligations um, that you uh, hold yourself up to. Right. Uh, to do right. Do you find like there's it's 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 more difficult or is it a sales point for you? Like I'm trying to I want to understand your perspective on this because here we, we got to make money. Otherwise, we're not helping anybody. Right. So like because you you go out of business. So like what's your perspective right. on the, the challenges for actually selling? I would say that, you know, I we started this business, you know, with an intention to be as sustainable and as ethical as possible from the get go. Yeah. And so that's really different than a lot of and, and it really for me, it really started with the people behind it and saying, hey, we you know, I was living in Cambodia. I was doing research on sustainable and ethical fashion and working with a number of makers. And, you know, I identified an opportunity to start a business with people I met there. Um, and the, the goal was we have this group of people and we want to figure out what's, you know, what's a way to build a business around them and their needs. Right. And then how do we then create products that are also as sustainable as possible and also are what we, what our customers want. And then how do we sell those products, which is the complete opposite way of the way most people think about starting a business. Yeah. Right? They think about their customers first and they think about, okay, what do my customers want and how, to, or maybe they're a designer and they're like, I like making this kind of product. So I'm going to, you know, make this thing and then I'm going to go find someone to make it. And the people who are making it are kind of secondary. In some ways, I see our core product as actually being the business itself and the work that we're doing and the kind of we're creating an environment, a new kind of workplace in the fashion industry where people are motivated and excited and where, you know, they're excited to come work and make things right. It's a maker centric brand that starts with the makers and then goes to how do we take this amazing group of people, this amazing workplace and create a product that also is going to help us facilitate that. So it's a really opposite way of thinking to most brands. And that's something that although we've gone through a lot of shifts, that's always been core to our yeah. business is the people. And so how that affects us and how that makes us quite different is that we then, our design process is also very different because we're basically saying, these are the materials we have. This is the waste that's literally been thrown away by garment factories this week. And, you know, this is the capacity of our team. And how do we then create a collection out of that, that like, acknowledges all those limitations and all those capacities and then also suits the needs of our customers. Ooh, yeah. So yeah. it's a different, it's a different way of going about it. Um, <laughs> yes, but to, it is. I guess to answer your question, you know, we didn't set out to say, how can we use sustainability as a selling point? We set out to say sustainability is a core value of our ah, team. How do we yeah. most live out our values and also make something that's going to sell to support those values, which is a yes. really different way of say really different way of thinking than like, how do I create a sustainable product that will sell? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, so over time we've seen shifts in terms of how the customers have reacted to that. Um, I think early days, you know, we were 
very early in this kind of sustainable zero waste movement. We were one of the first, you know, zero waste brands out there. Um, and so, you know, also like social media and, and Google and all that has changed a lot. So we used to get like incredible organic traffic for those um, search terms. And we would also get really good um, press because we were one of the few brands who was kind of really doing those things on like yeah. a deeper level and not just marketing it. Um, and so as more brands have come into the space and have tried to become more sustainable or who are, who are using sustainability as a marketing um, tactic to some level, it is kind of drowning our voice out in those organic channels. Yep. Um, and that's the only reason I find that a bit frustrating is because I know a lot of them are not doing it to the level that we're doing it. You know, if, if it was really like, hey, look, all these brands are actually getting more sustainable, that would be great. But the problem is that it's typically more the people who have just realized they need to start forming a sustainability strategy. And now they're going to put all their marketing dollars into telling you how they're being sustainable instead of how they, instead of what they're actually doing. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, I would say, because I think we have more integrity and because we've always been aligned in that way. We do have much better loyalty from customers. But nowadays it's like, I think it's for new customers who are wanting to shop sustainably the market is so flooded with like greenwashing effectively yeah. that it's hard for people to find, you know, the brands like us, I believe who are actually real. Yeah. doing it. Yeah. yeah. And for anybody listening that doesn't know greenwashing, that is using sustainability or otherwise, um, you know, to make money and, and create, you know, customer trust, but not actually backing Doing it up the on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's so that's like getting putting... into a lot of um, difficult. I mean, that's a lot of, you know, point. And that's, that's a lot of challenging topics, but. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I think, I think what sustainability does for us or what, what I think living, operating our company in a way that's aligned with our values as a team what it does for us from a marketing perspective is it draws the people to us who really want to find people who are doing it. And because we have that integrity and we've had that long track record and we are very transparent, we're very open. I think the people who really get it, really get it. And they're really bought in. So it does really create a lot of loyalty, but at the end of the day, that's not why we're doing it. Um, it's just, we're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And the people who also want that are going to find us. Yeah. And, and, you know, but I guess as you say, as you say that it's, still, it's, a, it's tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. It is tricky because you do want to stand by your principles and values and, and run a business the right way. And, you know, getting those loyal loyalists on board is good because today every screen is a word of mouth machine. Right. So that word of mouth, like even Apple and, and big players like that, Steve Jobs focus wasn't mass marketing. It was finding people who just were like insanely obsessed with what they do at Apple, loving that product because they become these word of mouth like machines. So, you know, that's a really powerful marketing channel, probably the most powerful because it's a referral basically from one person to another, which is going to reduce the trust barrier. It's going to, it's going to create a, a, a bond faster of trust for towards a brand from a new person. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's great to go after those loyalists. Uh, <laughs> that's, that definitely is helpful. Um, so I, you know, yeah, there's, I was thinking of that picture of like, 
I don't drink dairy milk, but they see the uh, pictures of like a cow in a green pasture on the carton. And you're like, yeah, right. It's like these, that's like the, just, that was the greenwashing example. It's like, you see these pictures as if it's some beautiful dairy farm that some family owns, but it's really this awful like CAFO factory. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. I don't, I don't drink milk either. And I, I haven't even thought about one of those, um, those in a long time, but that's such a good example because it is so, it is so like, uh, overt and uh, people don't question it. No, <laughs> like, no, they don't. They want to believe it. the story, right? And that's exactly what it is. It's like you want to believe that there's like these happy cows in a field, right. just like living in that's the mountains right. with the sun shining down on them. And that's what they are selling to you. They're selling to you this story that you can drink milk and believe that these animals are happy. That's you right. Know? And people <laughs> that believe is such it. such a good example. People believe it, uh, you know. Um, and, you know, I think that, like, at what point, though, for a business like yours, like, it's kind of like, you know, you got everybody out there who is playing a certain game, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, we may not agree with how they play it, but they're playing within very loose loose rules, right? Like loopholes, different things, or they're just doing things where it's like, I'm going to get products that sell. I don't care about the environment. I don't care. I'm just selling. And, you know, so to compete there, like at what point for you, do you have to back off on, cause like you came into it with a lot of new um, boundaries almost in a sense, like this is how we're playing the game based on, we want to, we want to live, run the business according to these values, which, you know, I'm all about too. I love it. Um, but do you feel that there's ever a point where you have to loosen that up in order to, cause we want business owners like you to continue. Right. So it's like, when do we loosen that up in order to make sure you can continue forward? And then you can always reel it back in or, you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) is there a point where you think like that sometimes? I would say I used to think like that. And I also, I think that there's an idea too, that businesses should continue at all costs. Mm. And for me, and a business just continuing for the sake of continuing is not necessarily good if it can't retain its principles. So in terms of loosening, I would say rather than loosening, I would say changing. And I think there is adapting, right? And there is changing your mind about things. Like there are definitely things that I did early days of my business that I have now like looked back and been like, oh, we could have done that differently or we could have done that better. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely those kind of things. Um, And there were things that it was like, maybe I didn't have the capacity or the access to, you know, certain things. Um, or certain tools or certain ways of of thinking and ways of of doing things better. And now I'm like, I don't blame myself for that, but I do think, oh, there would have been things I could have done differently, but now I'm learning and I'm growing, I'm changing. So there's that. But then there's also, um, I think there are times when, you know, there are like over the last two years, right. There have been these, all these unforeseen factors in the world. And yeah. And there are things that like, we are running a business. It's really hard to run. At, in, in a normal time, right? Because we're essentially <laughs> yeah. paying yeah. like way higher rates for our products. We're doing things in a much slower, more conscientious manner. And it's going to cost a lot more to do that. Our profit margins are smaller. We have way less cushion. That's the, the reality, right? And our product prices are still higher than what you can get from, you know, a traditional factory or, or whatnot. Right. right. So 
it is harder to run a business like that already. And then if you throw on a global pandemic and supply chain disruptions and shipping disruptions and a climate crisis and, you know, wars and all kinds of other stuff, right? Like authoritarian yeah. rulers. <laughs> I shall not be named. Fantasy book. Um, you know, all of that, right? Like how if you're trying to run a business and, and also increasing monopolies, like I think that's a real, like increasing monopolies of like large corporations is a real threat. To always. Small businesses. Yeah. Always. You know, and, and that has only gotten worse over the pandemic. Um, and especially in the fashion industry as well, there's massive consolidation going on, um, which is making it even harder for smaller businesses to compete. So given all that, right, like if, if, if I had to decide to do something that was incredibly against my values in order to keep this business alive, I wouldn't do it because for me, like the success of Tonle is what we've been able to accomplish while we're still keeping true to our values. If, if I didn't, if, if someone said, Hey, you have to, you can keep your business alive, but you have to pay your workers half as much, for example, like to me, that would not be a success, right? So it's a little bit about changing our definition of success. If a business like ours cannot cannot succeed because we try to stay true to our principles, that is more a reflection of society failing than it is us failing, right? And I would rather, I would rather shut down than like massively compromise on my principles. Mm. Um, and I've seen, you know, people take, investment money, for example, and radically yeah. change and really become diluted on their values and so forth. And I've had to pass up money from investors because I, again, I would rather be smaller or grow slower than take capital from an investor who's going to pressure me to change in a way because the, the, the beauty of Tonle is our values, yeah. right? Yeah. So without that, like we, we aren't successful. Um, so I guess yeah. that's my perspective on it. I think I think as a society, part of it is is about yes, I want businesses like us to survive and thrive as well. But if society creates an environment in which we cannot thrive, that is society, that is politics, that is people failing us, not us failing. That's interesting. Yeah, and and I mean compromising on values. Yeah, I mean I think that there's there's always, it's like the temptation of the devil on your shoulder, right? Like, come on, <laughs> you know, we can cut some costs over here. All you got to do is this, right? And, um, but I mean, yeah. what about companies? Like there's companies, God, what was this company? It's like a billion dollar company. I remember um, I was back, this is several years ago. I was reading a book and he's like, they had to get people to work for him for the first like year with no pay. And then, you know, once they really got a foothold, it's now became this massive company, but they had to believe in that person and also take that hit. The only reason I thought about that is because you talked about cutting pay and stuff, but like sometimes there could be short term uh, hits in order to get back on track for long term wins. Right. Um, so now you got to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's somewhat true, but I think it also really depends on, okay. So like if you have investors or people who are massively privileged, who can take a whole year and not get paid, then sure. That sounds great. But like that, what that also says to me is this company is obviously either serving or working with a demographic of people who are very privileged, who can afford to literally take a year off work. Like I can't do that. I know, um, no, no, no. So, I know. you know, to me, that says a lot about 
and, and, you know, there, of course there are startups, right. Where the founders say, okay, we're going to invest our time in exchange for equity. That's very different to me than using an yes. entire year of someone's <laughs> yeah. labor without compensating them. Um, I know, I know. So that, that sounds really, I don't know that. I don't know what the specific situation but that sounds, was. Uh, I got a, I, it might've been six months. I don't remember, but it was a pretty, pretty crazy. Cause the reason I was reading about it is because <laughs> when I first started change creator, I was the guy trying to run this magazine and stuff, which had crazy overhead. And I was trying yeah. to get writers and designers and people. I was like, Oh, well, here's the deal. We'll do that. I was wheeling and dealing. And I was seeing how these other people did yeah. these things in the beginning to get going, you know, and, it, that stood out to me. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. People come up with all kinds of crazy creative ideas, but I kind of have knowing in the back of my brain, something you mentioned um, about your reverse model, almost like, you know, normally it's market first, right? Not right. like a product first, meaning you're not product first, but you're kind of like materials first, <laughs> right? Materials <laughs> first. And I would say it's about the product in a way is the work environment and the company culture that we want to create and creating this environment for our team. Like our customer is actually kind of our team, right? We're trying to create a work environment in the garment space that actually honors and upholds these people to do so, we need to make clothes and we need to sell yeah, clothes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Right. Well, and the clothes, I mean, hey, that's, yes, okay. But the clothes are a product that you produce to provide yeah, to living wages work. to all these amazing people exactly. that design them. So we do need to, we do need to sell them. And sell clothes. Yep. Yeah, we got to sell clothes. <laughs> Otherwise, nobody, then nobody right. gets paid if not, right? So, um, you know, now the interesting thing though is there must be, um, like, I still feel like even with that model, you could be um, market first, meaning, hey, what are the trends? What's really hot? Like, what's different? What's unique? And then can we back into it with the materials we have? No? Well, it's a little bit of both. Like, I would say that, of course, like to succeed in the fashion industry, like you have to design products that people want to buy. And, you know, and, and going back to your question about how much does sustainability motivate people? You know, what I've seen is that the sustainability and the ethics and all of that is what gets people to your brand. But once they've landed on your website and however they came to your website and they're seeing all your beautiful products, what's going to actually make them buy is whether or not they want that product. Do they need that product? Does it fit them? Is it their style? And is the price right for them? Right. Yep. So at the end of yep. the day, it's like the sustainability isn't what's going to make that final sale. It might help create loyal customers. It might help um, bring people to you through PR and, and marketing and so forth. But ultimately, clothing is a very personal thing. And it's it's ultimately comes down to like comfort, style, fit, price. And yeah. Yeah. that's the end of it. Right. And so that's we the don't logical decision making. Right. Right. Yeah, and the emotional, the which is, oh, such a cool brand, sustainable, waste-free. But then once they get past that emotional, it's like, all right, yeah. now let me do my logical checklist. Does it fit? Is it my style? Da, 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 right? And, and even, even that is emotional too, because for, for a lot of people, especially women, where it's like, it's about how clothing makes them feel and yeah, how okay. does, you yeah. know, fit is a very emotional thing as well, you know, and it's also tied up so much in how, we view um, gender and bodies and ability and, true, true, you know, yeah. class and all of this stuff. Right. So it's, it, it's actually way more emotional and self, mm. um, you know, it's a, it's a process that could create self-reflection, but typically doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
so oh. it, it is it's a complicated it's a complicated thing but yeah it it's um I, at the end of the day you know navigating all of that and figuring out how to produce a product that is also going to make our customers for us it's not so much about looking good but it's it's actually how does this garment make you feel is it something mm-hmm. that you want to put on your body does it align with who you want to be as a person and so there's this kind of customer satisfaction i think that comes from not just like it's cute it makes me look good um but it actually makes me feel like i put this on and i feel like aligned with who i want to be in the world yeah and i love i love that yeah yeah so it's something that does serve our customers as well, right? It's not just that they're they're helping us, but we're also helping them because we're providing them a product and a service that absolutely um, allows them to live out their values. That's that's exactly it. I mean, it feels good to buy something that you know comes from a good place, right? right. I mean, every time right. someone buys one of Jake's bags because it's sourced, and they're like so excited about it. I mean, literally the bag is twice as much as anything on the market, but when they buy it, they're like, this is amazing. And I'm so excited to be part of this thing. Right, <laughs> you know? exactly. And you're proud to wear it and you tell your yeah. friends about it. And it's like, and that's where kind of that loyalty comes in and those repeat customers. But it's like, you're making people, you're creating your community. And I know that's kind of you know, marketing buzzwords or whatever, but like people are part <laughs> of making that work possible. And they're part of that community and supporting that. Like, yeah. When people buy these clothes, like not only does it feel good for them, but they like, they can feel like they're supporting this, you know, different vision. Yeah. I like that. Now, if you're creating things from materials that you have, are you, if you have a top seller, are you able to continue making that top seller or does it fade away? Well, sometimes it, it really depends because a lot of the materials, so we, we go to these like secondhand markets where there's just like, piles and piles of scrap fabrics that are left over from the factories and um a lot of the fabrics that we see it'll be the similar types of fabrics like you know the gap is always going to be making black t-shirts and navy blue t-shirts and gray t-shirts so there's always going to be those fabrics right um but then there's also some more unique colors and you know it also is very seasonal like a lot of times we'll see um, like last season's trend colors will be like in the piles of waste. <laughs> um, so it's, and, and there's some stuff that, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we wouldn't use. So we can kind of select like what we want out of these and then we buy it by the kilogram. And so, um, you know, we pull out all these scraps and these, these bolts of fabric and then they weigh it for us and, and so forth. And they're like kind of these remnant dealers who go through what the garment factories are throwing away and they select what they think they can resell. Um, interesting yeah so if if there's a fabric that so so certain times we design products around fabrics that we know we're always going to find that's why we use a lot of jersey um like t-shirt fabric because that a lot of clothes are are now made out of those types of fabrics um yeah yeah and then we also sometimes we'll have limited edition fabrics where we're like okay this style we're going to make it in this fabric when it's gone it's gone Mm -hmm. and then maybe you know if if it was really popular we might rerun it in another color or another fabric. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, I mean, that just came to mind because as I think like when we work with people, I'm like, what's your top seller? What's your, you know, like, and I ask certain questions about things. And I was like, geez, I wonder if you would have that consistently for people or not. So it sounds like there are certain things that could be consistent, right? But in some cases, colors could change and and stuff like that. Right. Exactly. Okay. 
Oh, that's that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> so I guess you know we'll we'll wrap up here. And um I'm curious just where I mean, what is what, what's the I know we talked about some stuff like and I know like there's a lot going on in the world and everything. So where are you, where's your head at now with Tone Lay as far as just getting through 2022? <laughs> well, uh, you we know, just have... like next steps. Like, how are we adapting to everything? Like, where, where, what are you thinking at this point? Oh gosh. Um. So there's a lot of different ideas. I mean, right, the thing that's, I think, the thing that's been hard over the last few years is like everything has changed so much in the world, and even like business modes and structures and you know like i've said this a few times but if you pick up a business textbook from before 2020 basically you throw it out the window because it's completely irrelevant like everything is like completely different no advice that anyone can give you (laughs) it's going to help you so (laughs) it's really kind of taking it day by like a big part of it is just really like we can't forecast like a year in advance we can't even for we can't forecast five years in advance let alone like you know six months in advance right so really building a lot of i think on a bigger picture is building a lot of flexibility into our business and building um, more space um for things to go wrong essentially. And, um, you know, part of, and, you know, we've been hit with the supply chain issues and we've been hit with closures of our workshops, um, and, you know, having to be really flexible with people taking off work and all of that affects our production capacity. And then when we can't produce, we don't have enough products to sell. We're still paying the same rates, you know, and then cost of shipping went up and there's, and then, you know, with every, there's, there's so much uncertainty. So I think the biggest thing for me right now is really thinking about like, how do we structure this business in a way that there is a lot of flexibility, not only as a business, not only financially, but also for all the people that work um, at Tolme who also need flexibility because there's just a lot of stress going on in the world. Um, And then, you know, I'd say on a, uh, on another level, like we have a couple of like, you know, we're just exploring a lot of different options for new ways to pivot and new strategies to test. And there's a couple of like exciting potential projects coming up, but um, I can't quite say what they are right now, but um, there are like things in the works, but it's just like, at the moment, I'm also just like, you know what? We're humans. We're trying to all do the best we can. Things are going to keep going wrong because that is how the world is right now. And we kind of have to be okay with that and just kind of ride with it and just do our best. So that's, that's kind of more where my head's at. Um, I'm really proud of what we've accomplished as a business. And regardless of, you know, if like we can't sustain in the, in this future world, because it's a really hard world to operate in. Um, I'm still going to be really proud of what we've accomplished. So uh, you guys will, you guys will sustain very well because <laughs> you, you'll Thank find you. ways to adapt with the the changes and stuff. And, you know, honestly, marketing is nothing more than a game of perception. So when you can just kind of position this thing the right way and find the right hook, you'll, uh, you'll get back on track uh, after all the crazy COVID and everything else we talked about that's going on in the world. But you know, yeah. if you made it 15 years so far with all the other ups and downs, I'm sure you guys will navigate yeah. your way. <laughs> well, I started my business in 2008 and everybody was like, why are you you're crazy? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, at that point I was like, it couldn't, it can only go up from here, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I guess we're, I going, we're going through another round of that, but uh, yeah. 
Well, up um, and down. The pendulum always swings both ways. So just hang tight. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Well, great chatting with you. Mm-hmm. It's great chatting with you, too. Um, I appreciate you coming back on and kind of just talking about everything that you have going on today. And I just like sharing your I love your strong stance on you know, your beliefs and values, um, you know, so I've always found it a struggle in the social entrepreneurship world of sticking to your values and being money minded and things like that. And trying to find that balance, you know what I mean? Because you do need both right. And one way, shape or form. So I appreciate uh, you sharing today and uh, yeah, it was just good to see you. Yeah. Great to see you too. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. Don't forget to stop by changecreator.com for more information, fresh articles, content, and our services if you're looking to build a brand that people love. And please stop by iTunes, leave us a five-star review. We appreciate your support.